Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners. It's Wednesday evening. I'm Simon Evans. Joining me tonight are Eric McElroy and Nick Dixon. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. How are you? All right, yeah. <coughs> Easily distinguished by your patterned shirt, because in all other respects, you look very, very similar. I've yeah, realised yeah. you are kind of peas. We're cousins. Yeah. How are you, Nick? But I'm much, much younger. We were discussing this yeah. earlier. Why are you? How old are you then? Well, you're not going into details, because okay. I'm in showbiz. There's a 10 year gap. <laughs> you're legal, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, we haven't <laughs> transgressed at all. Um, I'm going to warn the ladies and gentlemen, I'm a little bit poorly this evening. Oh. I have my tests and I'm absolutely clear on the headline results, but there might be the occasional cough, splutter, sneeze. I might shower you Thanks. with tiny yeah. airborne particles, but I want to reassure you they're not like newsworthy. They're yeah. just good old fashioned British cold. That's why I asked for this seat. Yeah. Is, this, yeah. is this two metres order? I think there'll be, like, I've certainly managed to breach a further distance than that when I speak from the stage, the front row occasionally oh. gets, you know, but so three or four yards I can do. I'm, I'm a properly trained thesp. <laughs> I can hit those back walls. Anyway, let's have a look at tomorrow's front pages. A slightly more cheerful headline or two than some we've been presented with lately. We'll start with the Daily Mail. Mummy's home at last. Daughter's delight as husband tells the male of their joy after Nazanine is freed from six-year hell in Iran. And the banner headline there, my £6,000 eyebrow transplant hurt like hell, but it was worth it. Read the room, Liz Jones. <laughs> uh, we next have the Telegraph, which goes with Mummy's really coming home. A very similar theme and a very similar photograph. Uh, to the uh, the Daily Mail and a very similar typeface as well, for that matter. And the weird world of Russell Brand at the top there. I wonder whether they're pro or against. I have become very much more sympathetic to the Russell Brand worldview of late. Uh, next one is The Guardian, I think. Uh, no, The Independent, I apologise. Uh, Nazanin freed to start new life with her family. And The Guardian next which is Zagari Ratcliffe. They've gone for the more formal assignation, released after six years in Iran jail. Russia raid hits theatre, meanwhile sheltering hundreds. Grimmer news continues in Ukraine. We will, of course, be covering that. The Financial Times runs with Moscow and Kiev explore neutrality plan in peace talks. But the photograph there is of Nazarene and uh, home for a nice cuppa. Uh, is in the, uh, who is that one, the next? It's the mirror. There we are, the mirror. And that gentleman in the photograph there, not from Ukraine, that is from the Cheltenham Festival, which uh, can certainly uh, foul up your face as well. And the Metro, finally, the Metro goes with at last some good news as Nazanin jets home. And they have a betting opportunity for the Cheltenham Gold Cup as well. That was the headlines. Let's take a deep dive. So we start with the story that's dominating most of Thursday's front pages. We're looking specifically at the coverage in The Guardian, Nick. Oh, a self-congratulatory tone to some of this, I think. I don't know oh, how really? you feel about you it. Oh, really? You found a negative in it. I've, yeah. <laughs> I've chosen to see it as a very positive thing. Yeah. I mean, it, yes, of course, the headline is Nazneen Zagari Ratcliffe on, home, on the way home to UK, etc. And it, I think it's a, it's a great bit of good news, finally. And 
I think we have to give credit to Liz Truss. So we, we've mocked on here when she made her Russia gaffe. She didn't know her Iran edges from her whatever's. And, uh, but she's done a good thing here. She's, she's prioritised the negotiations. She's managed to get this sorted. Many on Twitter have managed to find a negative and said, well, it's all just because we want oil now and all this. But I think it, it, it's great news. The fact that and many people have focused on the fact that no one else managed to get it done. Yes, Boris did do that gaffe when he suggested she was training journalists, which played into the Iranian narrative. But I would say there's actually good news. Well done to Liz Truss. And also, when people want to try and blame all the foreign secretaries, I, I should point out the actual blame is on Iran a bit like with Russia, where people say, well, there's NATO expansion, but then let's face it, Putin is dropping bombs. So it's much like this. The actual blame is with Iran, but I'm saying it's a great bit of news. And, I, I, and by the way, a quick note. Well, you're saying the proximate cause is with Iran, but there are a number of, uh, you know, there's, it's like inter, in, in, inception, isn't it? You, there, are, there are realities within realities, you know. But I'm saying, we, I'm saying we, one can focus on, well, we didn't manage to get her out, but it's also like perhaps Iran should well, have been Well, they did definitely give us four, 400 million quid for some uh, tanks, I think, wasn't it, that they never received. Right, well, so it was a legitimate complaint they had, whether or not you think she's yeah, worth it in, in, a, in an exchange. But clearly something has changed. There's been no renegotiation of just how much her life is worth or whether it's a legitimate tactic in international relationships to capture a hostage and, and hold her until a debt is paid. None of that has been resolved to anyone's satisfaction, has it? I see what you mean. There's a danger of that aspect of it, yes. Yeah. I mean... So, yeah, well done. You're managing to find the negative again. <laughs> I, I was going to go with the good news. I mean, let's face it, Nazanin and her family are not going to care her. about whatever the motives are. I never are. really liked her, her, her husband. I think that's the problem. I think if I'd warmed to him, I would feel happier about them being together. Now he's a nice. He's done very well for the kids, by the look of it. They've survived this. It must be extraordinary. One of her kids, I didn't see the actual ages, but one of them only looked as if she was about six years old. I mean, she must have been yeah. an absolute baby in arms when, uh, when she, she may not remember her, her mother at all. She was it? taken in front of her uh, really? the, uh, there, when she yeah. was 20 months old, and now I think she's eight. Right, so right. So I yeah. don't know if she's seen her in this time other than like, like video calls and that yeah. kind of thing. I mean, I, part of the reason they were able to hold her is because Iran doesn't recognize dual citizens, and she's got a British passport. Um, but, you know, if there was any question of her being British, um, in the story it does say that the first thing she wants to do when she gets home is to have a cup of tea. Yeah, which is about the most. That's almost British propaganda, thing you can isn't do. it? You think, she's, you think she's hired a PR manager? To <laughs> go for the tea. But um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, the four hundred million dollars of debt that has been given. I mean, you know, I mean, we work in an industry where we ha often have outstanding payments for quite a while. So. I, yeah. I don't want to say I'm sympathetic to Iran for that, but no. getting paid is always nice these days. Listen, Check if, is in the if mail. we've accessed all that sweet, sweet Uranian oil, then it's, it's a bargain, I have to say. I have to say, right. yeah. I'm surprised. I'm normally the cynic here, but you two have both come out very <laughs> pro-Iran here. And what do you think about Liz Jones's eyebrows? I mean, I don't even know if we've been allowed to talk about that one, to be honest. I think I, think I might have been steered away from it. Anyway, in all seriousness, very, very pleased to see Nazanin home. I'm just concerned that... Uh, that we might be sweeping uh, stuff under the rug that might uh, turn out not to be completely over and extinguished, you know, embers. A story about Ukraine in Thursday's Independent now. People have been shot dead while queuing for bread. Eric, this is grim, even by the standards of the last couple of weeks. I mean, all of it's been really grim. I mean, you just you can't really figure out. I mean, this is Russian forces have shot and killed at least 10 people. They were standing in bread in the town of Cherniviv. Cherniviv? Um, in Kiev, uh, just outside, or it was according to the U.S. Embassy in Kiev. Okay. Um, and um, somebody who escaped it, the Russian military there, said that they're just trying to erase the city from the face of the earth. Mm. And it's just, I mean, obviously what Russia is doing is a war crime. Uh, this is totally instigated by them. How, how they think they're going to win the hearts and minds of these people if once they eventually keep the terrain that they've captured, it yeah. just... 
you don't, there's no rational strategy to any of this. Well, I suppose it, perhaps it does give us a window into Putin's plans, his, if, he, if he has rational, I mean, he's, it's, it's always tempting, isn't it, in these situations, as it has been historically to write off people like Hitler and Stalin mm. as madmen and lunatics and just pure evil. Well, I think so, almost know. in biblical form, but he's held on to power there for quite some time. He's, he's navigated some difficult waters. It, it's fair to assume he has some sort of plan that he must realise he have, must have some grasp of human nature. He may not. He may have miscalled it entirely. You never know. But I think it's probably safer to try and think what can he be hoping to do. I would imagine what he's hoping to do is to create enough of a climate of fear in 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 Ukraine that. Uh, Zelensky and so on will will negotiate a, yeah. a, 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 a deal which is probably will end up being pretty much what he was demanding, you know, six months ago before he started to mass troops on the border. Yeah, I do think it's dangerous to say he's a madman or to assume he's miscalculated. Like you say, we don't know his plans. This, the only thing I say about this, and I don't want to, you have to be you're so careful to speak on this because people will shout at you and say you're, you love Putin and you're his best mate, but it's so hard to know what's happening in this war. And it says here the embassy did not cite what evidence it had of the attack in a statement. No, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but have you noticed it's just, it's just very hard. Obviously, probably, you know, truth is the first oh, casualty agree. of war and all that. There's obviously horrible stuff going on, but you just can't. Uh, I mean, I've got a friend who says nuclear weapons don't exist, so I don't know anymore what to believe. <laughs> it's quite a good but, theory. I mean, but the th- yes. we can go into it if you want. I mean, the thing is, is that what you know, what the Ukrainians have done by allowing, you know, a huge range of journalists from all types of, all stripes yeah. to, to document what's happening. Now, this is coming partly from resources within the U.S. Embassy, so I suppose you could say that's biased, but there's so much coverage. There's the citizen journalists. Everything is being so well documented. There's private companies with satellites over Ukraine. I think it's pretty clear what's you happening. You would have expected it. it to be, and I mean, with every new war, I mean, in 2003, they were talking about, you know, that was that going to be the first war that was essentially fought in live on media, live on on TV, you know, but the first uh, Iraq war on CNN. That yeah. was the first time we sat and watched a right. war happen live. Isn't there a was it Baudrillard? I think who said that it didn't really happen or something. There was like some continental Probably. philosopher who said that because it had been on TV, it was essentially it was a made-for-TV drama. Or was that, or was that Gizek? One of those. Lot, but, it? it's, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, and I don't. It's above my pay grade <laughs> as well, so I just probably shouldn't even have raised it, but. I do think that, considering that, there is still an extraordinary... I agree with you, Nick, there's an extraordinary amount of doubt. And there is certainly a tendency to overplay things, for instance, as there was a, a good deal of consternation that Russia had captured Chernobyl and were going to deliberately uh, like, allow it to set ablaze and, and create a massive radiation uh, threat. And then that turned out not to be quite true. There were stories that a, um, a Holocaust memorial had been not just hit, but actually targeted. And then it turned out it hadn't even been hit. Yeah. And th- or the example of the uh, people who said, F you who all died, then they didn't die. Yeah, yeah. covered it on this. A lot thing. of weird stuff happening like this. And, and I don't think it helps anyone's cause, you know. And it's, it's obvious that Russia is committing, as you say, war crimes or at the very least atrocities. And it's I mean, I don't, I'm not an expert on the Geneva Convention. Whether you know, what, you know, was was Aleppo a war crime? I mean, it doesn't, yes. doesn't need to be a crime if you flatten a city. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah. We don't need to go to legal distinctions. To well, intentionally whether targeting it's good. citizens is, makes, yeah. is what makes it a war crime. And right. What they did in Aleppo, it's what they're doing here, and yeah. that's that's what they'll continue to do until someone yeah. stops them. Sure. Well, that's. Uh, Another instalment of grim news one way or another. Thursday's Mirror Next, a troubling story about a teenager being strip-searched at school. This happened actually a couple of years ago, I think, Nick, but it's, it's emerged in a report that's yeah, come out. Yeah, another horrible one. Uh, black teen strip-searched by police at school fears she will never feel normal again. That's in the Mirror. And, yeah, it was a 15-year-old who, for some reason... I mean, she was accused of carrying cannabis, 
So two female officers made her remove her sanitary towel despite knowing she was on her period and strip-searched her. It's, it, it basically sounds horrendous. Another example of overzealous policing, perhaps. It's, it's quite hard that to know. That is really a, horrific, isn't it? It is pretty horrific. Yeah, it's hard just to know. For, I mean, just for, I don't want to like, completely downplay it, but just for cannabis, I mean, you know, that's... Ridiculous. I know, I know. There aren't really enough details here, but you want... I mean, now that the, the, the report says they were influenced by racism, but it doesn't yeah. seem to be... That sort of seems... There's not much information about that either. It's pretty horrific, but I don't know. There's more to the story, I, I believe. So the, um, the police officers... Um, they haven't been named. We haven't seen photographs of them or anything. There's no. The is, is there a suggestion that no. the police officers were two, in, two racist individuals, or there's a? Yeah. Is it more this culture of racism that I don't know? I think it, it is. I think that. Well, I, I believe there's institutional racism both in the police and in society, and I, I mm. you know, I, I, you know, I think that, that you see evidence like but this. But what I wonder is, is the report. But in this case, the report did identify that there. Decision to search her and to assume that she had drugs was influenced by racism. Yeah. That there is a propensity with police to look at black kids versus white kids and immediately assume, oh, yeah. they will have drugs. Yeah. And so the way well, that which, the whole thing. Which drugs will they but have? But it was quite vague. It said racism was likely to have been an influencing factor, which is, I mean, there, must, there might be more than not telling us. But it's all very vague. This yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, on the one hand, it, you know, I, I agree with you to some extent. It, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't exactly work against the grain of my expectations. But equally, if you're going to say, things like that, you need to demonstrate some evidence. Yes, but it's a pretty horrific story either way. Yes, awful. Thursday's Guardian, bullying and boy nights out in banking has consequences for one firm. This sounds like a a sort of private sector version of the Metropolitan Police. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Lloyds of London um, has been issued a million pounds in fines. Um, I don't know who gets that money for an attitude of bullying and boys' night out sort of attitude with some events that they had. Um, And it was apparently a subgroup of uh, Lloyds called Atrium, and they had some parties, and and people complained, and they basically were told, oh, let's just be quiet about it, let's just hush, just go Mm. along, you know, be, you know, go, you know, don't be such a a wimp about it kind of thing. And then it's escalated to this level where they've finally been fined. I liked it that the story did mention that this is, um, in the 336-year history of Lloyds, this is the largest fine for bullying they've ever had. That is quite... Big fine for bullying, although I suspect it's quite a small amount of money for a firm like Lloyd's of London. Yeah. Or, I mean, I don't exactly know whether it's a departmental, you know, uh, issue or whether it's. But I mean, Lloyd's of London is one of those firms. I think they can. There was the thing. This might have been before your time or before you came to the UK. But there was a thing. It was. It was like one of those things that the all the the celebrities had investments in there, and they took a bit of a hit. But nobody had previously really been aware that they existed. It's a kind of quite a quaint old institution mm. has a big bell that rings when there's a shipwreck and stuff because you're all going to lose <laughs> your money, you know, but it's... it's. <laughs> oh, that's different to how it sounds here, because it... Yeah. I mean, this sounds more like sort of Wolf of Wall Street. So, I mean, yeah. I'm kind of... I'm, I'm torn on these. I hate these stories of bullying. I hate bullying in the workplace. Eric does it to me every week, but, but, what, I, but what I actually... But part of, part of me misses that Wolf of Wall Street atmosphere that I imagine went down, you know. Yeah, part yeah. of it, all of us wants to fire someone at a giant dartboard or eat someone's someone. goldfish. Or a dwarf. Well, I've said someone. <laughs> I'm not sure what the Ofcom regulations are. So I've just said someone because they're people too. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. I actually walked out halfway through Wolf of Wall Street. The first yeah. time I'd walked out of a movie for Which about 25 years. You? I just found that culture <laughs> utterly nauseating and sort of mm. boring as well. Really? I've had enough almost of Scorsese's like uh, supposedly horrified but actually kind of glorifying, you know, glorifying of masculine. I mean, but I don't it... even know that toxic masculinity is a term I throw around very happily but he certainly seems to be able to identify it and you've and gone woke it Simon I have yeah <laughs> I didn't like it I didn't mind you it's what, probably also I don't get it I'm probably concealing the fact that I don't, don't, I'm confused don't you admit as well. that Goodfellas is, a, is almost a perfect movie it is but that's the 
thing once you've made that perfect movie yeah. why keep remaking it i mean he's made well, about he's made it about 15 times <laughs> i think i mean yeah um taxi driver was amazing and and uh, that's the ultimate toxic message what was it yeah i guess so yeah but that is it i mean he de niro in the early days he did those studies you know but once you've got three or four of them i mean you could say that even woody allen progressed gradually you know <laughs> I don't know if it's a good example to be referring to, Simon, in this case. In Thursday's times, the Queen is refusing to hand over her swords. I'm imagining this is not as exciting as it sounds. Nick, this is actually yep. okay, about oh, Russia great. again. It's a it? great story. In the Times, Queen refuses to hand over swords to Moscow. So the Queen has refused to loan three 17th century swords... Uh, to Russia, and I think it's smart. The last thing we want to do at this point is be supplying weapons to Russia. Yeah, yeah, you don't Let's want to arm it. them. That's true. Right? Imagine it, they've wasted all the missiles. On the other hand, it, it up... suggests perhaps a, a bygone era where a duel could have been fought between two heads of state, which might have sorted the whole. Well, thing that's out. what I'm saying. What if they waste all the missiles? It ends yeah. up in hand-to-hand combat, and then Zelensky is slain by a sword that says "Property of Her Majesty the Queen." Wow, it's awkward. Embarrassing. It'd be embarrassing. Really right. embarrassing for yeah. the realm. Exactly. So, <laughs> so the, she's refused to give the swords. They wanted to use them in a in a museum piece called the. Uh, the duel from trial by combat up to a noble crime. Some sort of museum thing. They, they won't, and she's not going to give them them. That's it. So it's not happening. Fantastic. 17th century, though. That's quite old. Oh, that's, that's the 1600s, in case you don't yes. know how this works. And that is quite... <laughs> I mean, that's, that's before old. Ivan the Terrible, I think. I think. Certainly before people were no, great. No. Ivan the I Terrible mean, was at that early, was it? He was earlier than that. It's not as old. We're talking about the Muscovite period. Right, he certainly because three Romanov. Because right? Simon patronizes, I'm going to try and patronize him. Yeah, go back. He go, came go. after Ivan the Great, which is Ivan the Third. Ivan the Terrible was Ivan the Fourth. Ivan was 16th century. I'm just hearing in my talk back, so that's my the, my history isn't this old. So were you okay, right or not? Okay, I can't remember. I think we 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 have to fight for that. No, no, but yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah, okay. Ivan the Terrible was earlier than that. Yes. Yeah, yes. Is it older than Lloyd's Bank though? Uh, of London, about right? the same age, yeah. by the so same but yeah, 350 they, years. It's a good thing they didn't have the night. The what, what do you the think about um, the, the Queen snubbing uh, I, at Moscow? I think yeah. it's a good time it's good to, to know be holding back on, on sending well, arms to it? Moscow. Yeah. And definitely you'd see headlines in the Mirror and the Guardian uh, going after it's her. a bit disappointing. There's no member of the royal family buzzing Moscow in a helicopter at the moment. At this point, into a war, right. normally we've had an heroic prince and would, moment. Would she lend swords to Chelsea Football Club is another question. I can think of some royals we could send there at the moment. But. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Simon Evans, Eric McElroy and Nick Dixon. The Times again. And big tech will be no longer allowed to censor gender-critical feminists, Eric. Yes. I mean, the story's kind of about that. I feel like the, the Times, you know, should be better than this. It feels a little clickbaity because if you get into the article, it's just talking about the online safety bill, right. um, which will impose a duty on tech giants to have systems for removing harmful content or risk fines of up to 10% of their turnover. Wow. Um, so Basically, that would be quite handy, wouldn't it? I'd almost take one on the chin if we could get hold of ten percent of, of Silicon Valley turnover. Yeah, I think we could. We could it, probably rescue the NHS. Exactly. I mean, it, it, the idea of this, I suppose, is that social media giants are going to be told to be focusing on ruin, rooting out racist abuse and trolling rather than debates on things like gender issues and that kind of stuff. So that's the leap that they've made. My yeah. experience of um, of Twitter, which I do spend far too much time on, and obviously <laughs> I do have my own biases, I recognise. I don't know what you think, Nick, but it does seem to me that Twitter's, whether it's their bots or whether it's uh, human beings who are surveilling and trying to root out and, you know, impose bans or mm. alert people to the fact their tweets aren't acceptable, would you consider changing that, please? Whatever. Yeah. They do seem to be slightly overly focused. I mean, it just feels very much like there are certain kinds of points of view which 
come under immediate scrutiny. And for instance, yes. saying something like trans women aren't women will get you an immediate yes. ban, whereas you do seem to be able to get away with some extraordinarily troubling views yes. in other responses. You definitely can't tweet something like, the vaccine is deadly. That would get you... No. Even the vaccine's not perfect would get you in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I agree. My, my perhaps naive question is, why can't we just follow the laws of the land, right? So especially in America where you have the First Amendment, much smarter people came up with that than yeah. some lame people at Twitter. Why not go with the uh, founding fathers and keep that? Whereas we've, we've got the president of the United States banned from Twitter. He recently did a podcast the other day, Trump, five million views, the full send podcast on YouTube, taken down. Mm. I find that bizarre. You could have a candidate, Eric, in your great country of 2024, yes. you could have a candidate who's banned from Twitter and is immediately banned from YouTube just for saying completely true things like Germany had a dodgy energy policy, Biden messed up Afghanistan, the election was definitely fake, stuff like that. And it has to be said, just on Something. that one, I'll give Eric a right to respond to that, but I would also add the point at which they banned him was, was supposedly about what they call the insurrection or whatever, J, J6, it's, you know, they tried to create this thing. Now, whether or not you thought it was a serious attempt to overthrow the government or whether it was a, a riot or whatever it was... Trump didn't say anything on Twitter mm. which justified a ban. There's no question. You would, have had to, you would have to read so deeply between the lines of let's go or I'll see you at lunchtime or something. Yeah. There were half a dozen tweets that were so vague. So they the weren't, it's yeah. time to overthrow, you know, that we have been forced into a situation where only violence is... There was, there was nothing of that kind. So the, his ban is... It genuinely is an outrage. Yeah, I think. Well, you know. I, it, the, the issue of what free speech means in the United States is free speech is that the government cannot restrict your speech. Yeah. Private companies have a right, and it's oh. in their terms and conditions, to say who they want on their platforms. But just, no, you're exactly right. But what Nick is suggesting is that we take the ethos of the First Amendment, which says that, yeah. and you introduce that into the private sector and make that your guiding principle in terms of the guiding sector. Yeah. And so the you problem, say if you create a platform yeah. which is the de facto town square, you must abide by the yeah. de facto. And that, and, that, and that got right. Trump called out because I was yeah. blocked by Trump on Twitter and a court case was, oh, maybe won, was based won based on the fact right. that he was using that as the public space. And yeah. so there, uh, my letter was sent to the, my name and Twitter handle was sent to the Justice Department uh, and a letter from the Justice Department to the White House and someone had to go in and unblock me oh, from, really? from Trump because as a U.S. citizen, I was denied access to my president. Yeah. Now, what that, I'm glad you acknowledge he's your president because some, some <laughs> of your lot won't. No, no, most of our lot believe in democracy, <laughs> which the Republicans don't currently. Oh, um, it doesn't matter to me. But, uh, no, so you're, you're saying you think it's right that they should be able to load? Absolutely. Well, yeah. If they were forced to have Trump on, that would yeah. be a violation of the free speech. That's yes, a violation it, of the government telling a private company what yeah, to do. Yeah. And that's my problem with this online safety bill is it's actually, because we don't have protected free speech in the same way in the UK, unfortunately, no. but the government here is telling private companies what they can and can't say. And I, while I don't like the kind of hate speech that's done online, that's a dangerous slope. Because they said they're going to have a list of priorities of topics that you could allow, and that's dangerous. But the rebuke you, is that they're acting like a publisher and they're pretending not to be, though, isn't it, with Twitter? Yeah. That's one rebuke. The other rebuke is that they're, are they really private companies? They're so big, maybe we need a different category. But, yeah, to bring it back to this, this online safety bill, I'm sceptical that you can do anything about so-called online harm I mean, someone compares it to whack-a-mole here, I tend to agree. I like whack-a-mole, isn't it? <laughs> That's <laughs> the one with the avocados, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, this one from Thursday's Mirror. Newcastle manager has said he wants to focus on coaching rather than his team's relations with the Saudis, which 
I can understand, Nick, uh, why he doesn't want to be drawn into questioning on that front, but that's the way Premier League football is going, isn't it? It does seem to be, yeah. Eddie Howe launches dangerous ground defence over Saudi Arabia questions at Newcastle, and what they mean by that is he said, uh, as soon as I deviate from that, meaning football, into an area where I don't feel qualified to have a huge opinion, I think I go into dangerous ground, so I prefer to stick to what I believe I know. Dangerous ground, sounds like a Harrison Ford movie, but yeah, yeah. he... Um, or indeed look, a description of St James's Park. <laughs> right, good call. But, um, but Mike, see, I think it's a little unfair on managers personally, because where do you stop? I mean, the, the Qatar World Cup, I would start with 6,500 people dead making the stadiums. To me, that's far more serious, yeah. or it's certainly in the same conversation. Mm. So where do you stop? And then they were having a go at uh, Thomas Tuchel the other day. You know, suddenly he's in trouble because while people didn't necessarily love Abramovich, suddenly it's a hot topic, obviously. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit unfair on the individual managers. I think they have to go by their individual conscience and decide, do I want to work for this company? But, it's, but it's, it is a slippery slope because all of football is going to turn out to be... Well, I saw one interview with him where he said, I mean, I think the same interview, and I read the, the text of it, and he said, I think quite reasonably, that the, uh, the powers that be have, have waved through this, this, this purchase, you know, yeah. and so they have, they have got the capacity to determine whether or not he's a leg- it's a legitimate ownership. It's not then for him to sort of have issues with it. And I think that is probably the most sensible thing you can say. I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe we just look, look at the ownership structure of football and find yeah. out if there's better people we can have buying these teams. You know, people not like the Saudis, maybe like Voldemort or Darth Vader, Genghis Khan. Well, I mean, you go you're more right, evil. though. It's happened over the last 20 years. In fact, it was specifically, I think, since the big financial crash of 2008, which triggered the massive flood of Russian money into the London property market in particular. I mean, that's become a very obvious right. thing in the non-DOM arrangements there because sterling crashed you know which took the brunt of what would otherwise have decimated people's equity in their home so you know arguably that was you know that was a reasonable hit. yeah and speaking of but, the, but that last 10 years there's definitely been a feeling that a lot of you know a lot of britain is up for sale a lot of stuff that we felt yeah. was kind of part of our our tradition our infrastructure all that, and things that we have some emotional connection with and yes having said that i'm not really a football fan so maybe it doesn't matter well i am and I, obviously they are community teams i've heard this idea of the fans owning them no there's no real practical suggestions yet but we yes obviously it doesn't sit well the idea i mean my team's run by americans so yeah, I could on. cite the there Gulf War and the, or something like that because we want to get rid of them anyway. So maybe I'll start citing. There was a time when Man United, you Man United, right? Glazers, yes. Yeah, the Glazers. That was a time when that was considered to be very dodgy, wasn't it? Yeah. The connection with New York Yankees, I think, wasn't mm. it as well? And, and we still don't like them. No, you call it but that's now? fairly. I mean, that's pretty parochial by comparison now, isn't it? Right. It's yeah. like kind of the first wave of James Bond movies. In Thursday's Daily Mail, the Ukrainian government are reaching for the stars with their new way to stop Putin. Eric, what's this? This, this is from Ukraine. This is a beautiful story in the, you know, the midst of a lot of tragedy. This is the Ukraine's vice prime minister has sent an actual tweet where he's, he's he started out heavy going, everyone wants Putin to die until this happens. We give Ukrainians and the whole world a unique opportunity to send Putin to Jupiter. He tweeted this out, donate $2.99, $2.99 for a rocket. And then he admits that all the funds are going to be used to reconstruct infrastructure in Ukraine. Right. But I think we've seen time and time again that it's not surprising that Ukrainians are led by a comedian because yeah. they are very funny people. I did not expect to see that be the takeaway from this horrible tragedy, is that these people have a great sense of humor. That's the tweet there that he... Act, that he genuinely, this, he's the vice prime minister. That would be like 
Dominic Robb sending a tweet, except um, Dominic Robb isn't likable. But, um, but yeah, it's brilliant. It's, it's humor kind of a not on a matter here about Putin and Jupiter as well, which I quite like. But um, I don't know. It seems to be a long way to go. Just it's, out well, to actually, space. The story does cover that. The distance is 601 million miles, in case yeah. you're wondering. And a single trip would take about half a decade. Well, would yeah. be good for Putin. Sorry to contradict you. It depends on where the, where the planets are aligned at that yeah, time. Exactly. It said, yeah, should the Ukrainians ever succeed in their plan, Putin would face a journey lasting at least two years when the two planets are at their closest to one another, approximately 360 million yeah. miles. So it's fun to imagine Putin on that journey. In that picture, he looked quite chill, didn't he? <laughs> but I, do, I, do, I don't like the fact that they're spending actually on infrastructure and they're lying about the rocket. Just get the actual rocket. Yeah, Just, yeah, yeah. I think get the rocket and then that in itself, sell tickets. And it's a morale builder. Yeah. And yeah. Thursday, Telegraph, huge tax bills are leaving crypto investors in the dark. They don't realise that they have tax obligations, it seems. Yes, I feel a bit bad talking about someone like, like Dominic's at home just screaming at the TV, uh, assuming uh, he watches no, on his days off. No, that's not how you do crypto. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because this is pearls before swine with me. Because I, I have some rudimentary understanding of crypto, but this is to do with the, the tax element. So HM Revenue and Customs has contacted fewer than 1% of British cryptocurrency investors about potentially owing thousands of pounds in tax. Uh, so most of them have less than 1,000 invested in digital assets, so they wouldn't breach the 2,300 capital gains allowance. But basically, they, loads of people are probably making crypto gains and not paying taxes, is the accusation. It's, it's, all, it's all part of the wider war between centralized and decentralized currencies. And obviously, yeah. the Bank of England people have talked about doing a digital currency. But for now, crypto is still a bit the Wild West. You don't necessarily have to pay tax. And there is definitely a suspicion that you can avoid tax, isn't there? Not, That's the, not yeah. that you legally can, but that the, uh, the technology is, is part of the appeal of it. Well, yes, the they've unfaithful. tracked down, sorry, they've tracked down 0.4% of, uh, they've sent out 8,329 letters, right? But that represents 0.4% of British crypto investors. Yeah. Based on the estimate of I'm probably the only person million. I know who's managed to lose money on the whole bloody thing. So, you know, I don't know whether I'll be getting a rebate. I'm holding I, Bitcoin. I'm my looking at the story, I just miss cash. Yeah. I just miss cash. Absolutely. Brown envelopes. From the Daily Mail, a story about how bioweapon labs in the Ukraine have sparked a propaganda war between Russia and the West. Eric, this is quite interesting. This has been going on for a while. Yeah. So back, because uh, back in the day, um, this is in the Daily Mail, the Pentagon invested 200 million in Ukraine in what was um, a biological threat reduction program because you had all these, com uh, all these countries coming out of the Soviet Union. And um, when was the Pentagon ever said anything that wasn't true? Absolutely. Um, very much like Operation Paperclip, which yes. was a Nazi scientist reduction program. Not going <laughs> to... <laughs> My government would never lie, except when it does. But basically, this was their 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 position on this is that this is yeah. an effort to to get unsecured biological materials after the fall of the Soviet Union. Yeah. Of course, now Russia's bringing this up. They've only so, had thirty years. Give these guys a chance. It's, it's like you got to be careful with this yeah, stuff. Exactly. You wouldn't want anything to break out of a lab and You've got to cause problems. Very let's slowly. Not talk about that. Um, but of course, Russia is using this and Russia's propaganda supporters are saying that this is going to be um, Ukraine starting biowarfare. Yeah. But Russia is very much a country that projects and they have used biological weapons, which they did in Syria. They did. Them saying this is well, going to be chemical weapons. Chemical weapons, right? sorry. Yeah. Um, biowarfare, chemical, all that. Biowarfare kind of stuff. is the one in On Her Majesty's Secret Service where they um, hypnotize the young beauties to, uh, to become I, vegetarians and then go home and, and kill all the, all the turkeys with that, a spray. I would, I would, yeah, that's going to be a little more serious <laughs> than that, I'm afraid. Um, but I mean, it is concerning because if Russia's saying this, 
Yeah. It's quite likely they might do this, and things aren't going well militarily no. for Russia right now. So it's the one of the danger. I mean, obviously there are all sorts of horrific things about chemical and biological warfare, but one of the things that is horrific about it is it's quite hard to work out who's done what, isn't it? When they, when they, when I think it is accepted now that Assad launched chemical weapons in in Syria yeah. with with Putin's with um, support. Uh, support collaboration. But it's, it still has plausible deniability. It's, there are still plenty of people who don't... Yeah. Think, well, you, you can understand how the argument goes. Why would you do that? Because it came that close to triggering a vote. This was when a lot of people think Ed Miliband let us down, right? Because yeah. uh, Cameron was kind of um, obliged, really, post-Blair, to uh, have a, a, a commons-wide, you know, an, an unwhipped vote on whether or not to respond to that. Yeah. And, and Miliband well, the whole took West, a political decision not to, and, and consequently um, Obama refused, yep. decided not to as well. But it had very, it had come very close to triggering a, 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 a huge response. So it's very, very tricky when you get these chemical wars. You know, there's just gas sort of you know, floating around, and it's it's not quite like, right, there's the trajectory of the missile, that's where it came from, we know who done that. Yeah. Well, can I, I was just going to have the big debate, is whether these are bio-labs or bio-weapons labs, and uh, Tulsi Gabbard got in trouble, because she said that yeah, they were yeah. bio-labs and she was worried about them being attacked by Russia, and the fallout from that, obviously, given COVID, given what pathogens might be and and then Mitt Romney called it treasonous, which I thought was shocking because she's a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Army. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting example of me defending a Democrat against a Republican. Yeah. There's been a terrible long, on-running uh, attempt to delegitimize Tulsi Gabbard's clear agenda, which is she's anti-military industrial yeah. complex, isn't she? And she, they, they try and undermine it, despite the yeah. fact that she has literally done service. She's know? been also very pro-Assad and uh, yeah. pro-Putin. That is true. Part, I wouldn't say, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, say that, not pro-Putin. He's not anti, right Anti-war, <laughs> just like anti-poking bears with sticks. And welcome back to Headliners <clears throat> with me, Simon Evans. We have Nick Dixon and <laughs> Eric, Eric McElroy. <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, gentlemen, who has the next story? I'll do this one for you, Simon. This is... Uh... I believe this, is, this comes from the mail. This is a, a, about a company that referred to bleeders. I'm just wondering if we're going to get the story. It's period product company that referred to bleeders in an Instagram post is accused of erasing women with dehumanizing and insulting language. So this was a company called Yopi, and the CEO is called uh, Daniela Perry. And they're a vegan, eco-friendly tampon company. But she made this bizarre statement, which said it was kind of her with like a, a, a sort of cool like LinkedIn style photo of wearing like a cool shirt, like I'm a hip CEO. And the statement was most bleeders know how they are impacted by their period, but unfortunately aren't in touch with their feelings and symptoms in other phases of their cycle. We're here to change that. And obviously this outraged people on a number of fronts, one yeah. being the term bleeders, which is kind of a sounds like something from a misogynist internet forum, which I would know because I run several. It's kind of where, it's kind of just bant. It's kind of where veganism meets 4chan. It's kind of uh, calling women bleeders. And the other part, symptoms, which people took exception to because it was suggesting that menstrual cycles are kind of illness. Yeah. So then she she sort of doubled down. I suppose. I mean, not. I'm not absolutely not uh, excusing this language, which I personally find really repellent and very problematic and and uh, all sorts of bad things. But there are symptoms, aren't there, I suppose? You can say that there are symptoms insofar okay. as... That's not your, the main point. Yeah, but... that's not the main point. Yeah, <laughs> but I yeah, I that see your point. But... Can I just be clear? Maybe you don't know this, but are they using the term bleeders 
as a, a really weird and clumsy um, yes. euphemism for women or for people who have who have periods, yep. or are they using it for women in that particular? part of the menstrual cycle, well, both that, of which are well, appalling, that's, that's, but I just want to know... Well, that is her is. argument, because she says, I use the word bleeders, uh, as I feel it best describes the point we are trying to make, that mental health is so much more than the days you bleed. Though it seems to be saying the opposite to me, but yeah. she also, this was the, another overstatement, she said, we should be proud of this cycle of bleeding from our uterus, which to me goes a bit far, like, proud. I, I, it's not, <sighs> it shouldn't be a shame, it's proud. So, and then here's the key point, she said... Um, she said, I myself am a woman, but I understand many of our customers are not. Many? I mean, statistically, it seems unlikely that many non-women are buying uh, yeah. tampons. I mean, there's not that many around. Even, so. even if you're accepting the, all the, the new orthodoxy about what words right. mean, then many. there's still not many, but no. still. What do you think, Eric? Well, I mean, obviously, I guess it's sort of a misfire trying to be inclusive because trans men would have a menstrual cycle, um, potentially. Um, I, I mean, the worst part of the story is that their products are vegan. That was the part that I just couldn't... Uh, oh, yeah, well, are they trying to be aside. inclusive, though, or oh, are they actually just trying to get this kind of press? Even well, if they're trying to get press, it's a good thing. I mean, what yeah. would be a more interesting well, story would be the fact that, that, you know, that a lot of women around the world don't have access to good menstrual yeah. products and everything else. That's the bigger story that would be more they're, important. So can, also is, it, is it true, though, as well, to say that the other three and a half weeks of the, of the menstrual cycle are, you know that you need to be aware of your symptoms or whatever. I mean, that just sounds like they're trying to pathologise 40 years of your life. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's one way, isn't it, to advertise and create a problem yeah. and then solve it with a vegan tampon. <sighs> Everyone's favourite comedy other than headliners is returning to our <laughs> screens, according to Thursday's Times. Eric, what's this? Yeah, Little Britain is back on oh. the BBC um, on iPlayer because it was removed because some episodes were seemed a little bit problematic. Um, Even they where... wouldn't say bleeders, would they? I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they probably uh, they, might they, do. they might have done actually readers because yeah. um, the episode that really got them uh, t not taken away and cancelled or anything else because you can still buy the episodes and right. they're still there yeah. they haven't been stopped but they put them on iPlayer but without the episode where um, uh, some of the characters were in blackface. Is this the ridiculously, absurdly sort of overweight, obese naturists or the, the women who go to the spa hotel? And are, I don't remember which character. I think that's was. one occasion where David Williams is not just in blackface; he's entirely he, black body. He's and in he's a, got a quite a ridiculous suit as well. Yeah. Yeah. Double down. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's also, isn't it? It's interesting how I'm not saying it's entirely uh, illogical, but it is interesting how making him seem black is completely unacceptable now. He's also dressing as a woman. He's pretending he's a man and he's pretending to be a woman. He's thin and he's pretending to be fat. Mm. You know, I mean, there's all these kind of things. Yeah, that, these different. These are his token. Arguably, every bit as, especially the fat thing, every bit as much shaming. I mean, there's no shame in being but, black. Many people would say there's a lot more shame in struggling with your weight now. Yeah, but I, I think, I mean, it's very difficult for us as, as a bunch of white guys to talk about the feeling no, no, and no. impact. Never feel like <laughs> that. I'm just comfortable of, with it. Of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of what it means to see blackface at that level on a national yeah. television program. Well, and so uh, yeah. I think, it, you know, it, if people want to see it, it's still available, but it's just not featured. I'm not asking you to be able to see it. I'm just wondering why blackface is yeah. not acceptable, but fat suits are acceptable. Well, probably because of the lack of he, history. He, I am a lady, and he's with his headboard yeah, yeah. in parasol. I mean, every I single... So there's one where Matt Lucas is pretending to be disabled, and they're not... Actually, I mean, every I single sketch argument, is an outrage. I know what you mean. Yeah, all the, I mean, yeah, all the sketches could be deleted, but I know. Yeah. But you, the argument might be there's not been a history of the, the fat and white minstrel show, something like that. The like, fat and white minstrel. Well, that would show. be the equivalent. Oh, like. I'm saying there's no such thing as this. So I'm, I'm making a. So 
And my question is, will they be editing Justin Trudeau out of everything? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Why, why is he still allowed to get away with it? I don't think those episodes of him are available. <laughs> Thursday's Guardian is reporting on the rise of incels. This follows on neatly from Little Britain, in my view. Nick, this is your area of expertise. Apparently, so you claim... <laughs> Which is outrageous because it says quite clearly here they're called incels due to their inability to form intimate relationships with women. Was I've of course well, inability? I've it's formed voluntary, isn't it? No, they're just saying that they. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry, that is what. Yeah. All I was right. saying is I've formed many, or at very least several. Yes. Uh, so it can't be One. me. But um, <laughs> yes, obviously the term comes from involuntary celibate. Yeah. So yeah, and it's the, the headline is incels are a rising threat in the U.S. Secret Service report find. Now, this is The Guardian. We have to always flag that because The Guardian obviously hates incels because, one, they tend to be white men, and, yeah. two, they tend to be involved in quasi-right-wing subcultures. If it was, let's say, young men who got brainwashed into uh, Islamic extremism, maybe it would be a different thing. Yeah. But my take on it, and it is very lengthy, we won't have time for it all, is that incels, their analysis is not necessarily wrong, but obviously their solution is wrong. Their solution is nihilism and, in some cases, violence. Who's they? Sorry, the incels, the incels themselves. Incels as a, as a phenomenon. Yeah. I'm saying that... Their solution is nihilism. Here's, here's my point. Yeah. What we have, what, the rise of incels, it, it's because of... They look at the society, they say marriage is broken, they say the family's broken, I've got some pointless job, I'm going to accrue debt. Uh, now there's the dating uh, apps which benefit the top few percent in the yep. sort of Pareto principle. 80% of us are, are in trouble. We can't get girlfriends on top of that. It's all getting worse. Women are on OnlyFans, and this is how it all sort of escalates. Now... There's two worlds, as you all know. There's a sort of red pill solution, which is stoicism. Let's make the best of it. Let's say, improve our lives, become comedians maybe, and get yeah. girlfriends. Bench press like Work I do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Whereas the nihilistic black pill incel solution is let's kill loads of people in a school. Obviously yeah. terrible. But the point is, my point is their analysis of the culture is not necessarily wrong. It's their solution. But I'm saying I'm sympathetic with them, obviously not to the point of violence, but yeah. to the plight of the incel, because it is a serious problem. We need fathers in the homes. We need better custody laws. We need the media to stop we being nice men. Robots. That's what we need. We need sex, sex robots. robots on the NHS. And most of them aren't violent, but obviously when they are, it's very wrong. But this, so this report basically goes through citing some key examples of this and saying that this is a problem we need to, we need yeah. to look at. I think yeah. it is a problem, but what do you think, Eric? Well, it's a huge problem, and the problem, of course, I mean, it goes beyond this. The, I mean... It's one thing to have a belief and be upset about something, but then the problem in America is that you can so easily get a gun and act on that. So you've got a problem with access to guns, which, I mean, even yeah. the state of Ohio just voted the fact that you can now um, carry an undisclosed gun and you don't have to tell police when they do a police stop. It used to be if the police pulled you over, yeah. that you would have to tell the police, I have a gun on me. Right. They just signed a new law in Ohio that says you don't even have to say that. So they're right. increasing availability of guns. Yeah. You've got these guys who I think are, you know, slightly deranged, but you're allowed to be deranged. Yeah. But then when they act on it and are violent, there's it's, it's indefensible, whether no matter what it's coming from. And, you know, this is being focused on now because this is this is a much larger threat to the safety in the United States than any Islamic extremists. Are. But can I just say, I, I don't blame the guns still because you may, but when they, these school shootings happen, it's inevitable. They don't have fathers. They have mental health problems. I still don't blame the guns. I blame the, you know, the issues behind it. But we can, that'll be a whole second amendment debate. Well, the thing is probably, to some extent, it's always uh, the bringing in of new terminology uh, makes you think you're dealing with a new problem. In reality, I think an awful lot of violence in all cultures at all times has been down to young men who haven't got a girlfriend, isn't it? I see your point. There's certainly an argument. There's never been an explicit subculture around it. 17 to 25-year-olds, high testosterone, likely to turn to crime in order to get their kicks because, you know... But the difference is in all Western countries have this problem, but no Western country has access to guns like the US does, and that's where it's a real problem. Thursday's independent. Next, and apparently they found a way to make eavesdropping... uh, 
fabric. Fashion. Like, yeah. This is the fashion it's, it's segment like, of the show. Uh, there's, so there's a, there's a cloth that can hear, is that Yes, right? that's right. You can get a shirt, for instance, that has, it's, it's basically becomes an entire microphone where the rustling of the fabric can be electronically converted and it works apparently like the ear does. So it gets the sound waves in the fabric of the shirt and then can either record the sound. So it can or pick up things like your, your heartbeat, I believe. It could pick up like your that. heartbeat. I mean, I'd be a little concerned about this because my body also Rumbling makes other noises, yeah, kind of which we won't want to talk about. But it would about. have to still be, I mean, I'm not stating the obvious, but it still has to be connected by wires to a, an amplifer or it something. It must be. Some sort. It's not, yes. It's, isn't There's going to be connection to recording yeah. device or it could be, it could basically become So it's a little bit like phone. the diaphragm that's on a, a microphone or, or within a headset. Because yes. headphones, you can rewire very easily and turn them into microphones, can't yeah. you, invite? I think. So it's probably something like that, right? And then it's just all like a fabric. the fabric yeah. of what you wear. I mean, I mean, it's great. So it's not for some... spies. This, this is because it sounds like it's a spying. Well, that's my concern. Be... They're selling it as like it'll help you with the respiratory conditions. Yeah. But what's actually going to happen is we're having a private conversation. You're recording yeah. it with your jumper. That's yeah, the yeah. danger. Yeah. Or, or, you... or indeed, the restaurant has just kind of put down a tablecloth. That, I mean, uh, <laughs> no, yeah, it was everything. Yeah. Back in the day, you'd come home, you get a little lipstick on the collar, you get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Now, wife's going to listen to your Rewind your shirt. Your shirt. <laughs> it is a sort, of, sort of Philip K. Dick universe, isn't it, we're heading into? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is, and yet at the same time, it sounds to me like it might not be quite such a huge advance as, as, it, as it states, because it is sort of essentially talking about something. You can already create a very discreet microphone. Or True. Whatever, you know, I, yeah, that's. we're getting more and more wearable things. Yeah. I mean, the Google Glass has kind of flopped, but that technology is sort of making its way back. Yeah, Bluetooth, I would headphones, like to bring that, that back in, to be honest. The heads-up display of augmented reality. I, I yeah. wanted to get a hold of that. That was the one thing. And now they've gone on to watches, which I... I got one, but I'm, it's annoying. It just bleeps at you if you sit still for too long. It's time for a little jog around the park. It's like, <laughs> it's like you've moved into a care home and you've got Nurse Ratched on your case. On to Thursday's Daily Mail. Men really do think they know everything, don't they, Nick? <laughs> well, I've been told to say that. Tonight, whoever wrote that autocue knows perfectly well this is not my worldview. <laughs> uh, we, 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 know, we know everything tonight. Men really are armchair experts. Males are more likely to think they can land a plane after watching a YouTube video than women. So 582 subjects were divided into groups, were shown a short clip, and the point of the clip was it made you think that you could, it was telling you how to land the plane, but actually yeah. it gave you useless information. Now the fact is, Simon, you and me both know we could land it better yeah. because we'd stay <laughs> calm, and the fact is they're saying we're overconfident, but that confidence itself would become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It certainly would. Because we would then just land it naturally. Captain and Sally would have, would have proven that. <laughs> exactly. I did actually read this story. The gap between men and women is 12.5%, right? It's not actually huge. And, and let me it? add... I mean, it's not orders of magnitude, no. you know what I mean? And let me also add that that both sexes were confident they could land the plane without dying. They're like, yeah, I'd probably land that. So I remember a story a few years ago in which they were, everyone was going, oh, my God, 8% of men think they could take a point off Serena Williams in a tennis match. Do you remember that? Right, right. And I was thinking, well, I don't think I could, but I wouldn't be surprised if 8% of men Right, decent could. club One player, point LTA player, top 250. 12% of women thought they could. No, I am absolutely <laughs> sure they couldn't, but that stays out because it's not the narrative, you know what I mean? You've taken a hit for the my, men. My hair couldn't. just fell down, so... Um, um, we've got to get through the last couple of stories before we're out of time, so I'm just going to whiz through them. Telegraph has a story about the world's biggest potato. Where did it come through? We've done oh, this one, haven't we? Yeah, we the world's biggest potato. Well, we did. Well, that was the problem. The Britain... Um, let me just dig here for this one. Um, Britain did have the world's biggest potato, but then New Zealand came in there with allegedly a larger potato named oh. Doug. Doug. But yeah, it turns out I remember the potato that Doug's Doug. potato was not, in fact, a potato. It was a tuber of a gourd. 
which wow. apparently doesn't qualify as a potato, yeah, so they've lost not, it. It's more like a pumpkin. Correct. But the British potato doesn't have a name, whereas the New Zealand one did. Mm, that is a problem. We'll try and come up with something for that. This is my last story. I do want to do this one. This is a body that's been discovered on the Cornish coast of the world's oldest living fish. Have you got this one, Nick? I think it's also... I think like, I eat it's some, it's a, it's, oh, yeah, it's a body of a rare Greenland yeah. shark. Is it that one? Yeah, uh, that's it. That can live for 500 years off the UK coast has been found, but it turns out it's actually a gourd. That's the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love the Greenland shark, and apparently it's like 500 years old, and so they immediately go, it is 500 years yeah. old. They can live up to very, very quickly becomes this shark <laughs> will have remembered the coronation of Henry it, VIII. It was actually Henry VIII's shark. Is was it his own, like the Mary yeah. Rose of sharks? Exactly. <laughs> um, Sailed off to meet the Spanish Armada. I have been reading a book, our book club book is uh, Josephine Tay, it's called The Daughter of Time, and it's uh, a detective novel in which a detective in a hospital bed can't solve real-life crime because he's, um, you know, he's in his hospital bed, so he starts reading history and decides to prove the innocence of Richard III. And I was thinking, what you really need is an animal that's lived mm. since that long, you know, Tornish that would have remembered the actual the events of the time, <laughs> you know, would have soaked up some of the atmosphere. What would you like to ask the Greenland shark from the last 500 years of history? Ah, oh, so many things. Um, well, where some, where, some, yeah, where some treasure ships are buried, that yeah. would be good. Apparently there's a ship full of gold in the Irish Sea. Did you know that? Like war gold, and it was heading off to America during the Second World War, and it was sunk. That is absolutely true. Anyway, Nick, Eric, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for supporting me during my difficult presentation of this show. The throat has held out. Thank you very much. Join us tomorrow. I'll be joined by Ian Stone and Josh Howick. See you at 11. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring. 